0: good morning let's turn in our bibles this morning to the gospel of mark chapter five continuing in our character studies we're picking right up where michael left off last week with the man of the gadarenes we'll be looking at jairus and the woman who was healed mark chapter five Beginning in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, this is the Sea of Galilee, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come. And lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying then he took the child by the hand and said to her Talitha Kumi which is translated little girl I say to you arise immediately the girl arose and walked for she was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat We are going to uh, look at the subject this morning of learning to wait, which Jairus had to do. Learning to wait. We're all familiar with that dreaded place, the waiting room, right? Is there a more dull place in the world, do you think? You know, with its magazines on subjects you have no interest in that were published three years ago if there ever was a good article it was torn out by someone all the coupons are gone we wait in lines they call them queues in uh, england sometimes they go around the block some people can't wait they cut in the checkout stand ah yes You know, the classic, the lady in front of you, after it's all been rung up, then she gets this big purse out and sets it up and fishes through it to find a checkbook. And then fishes through it to find a pen. And when that's all done, then we have to bring the manager up to the front. Who, If you drew an overhead map of the store, he probably is in the most remote corner from the counter. We could tell stories, I'm sure, all about waiting, but I think I have one to top them all. This actually happened last year at the Toll Plaza at the San Mateo Bridge. Yeah, I have witnesses to confirm this. Uh, it was a fairly busy day. You know, the cars were going through a little wait and then you move up a little bit, a little wait, you move up, right? And then suddenly the car that's in front of us uh, the lady's just sitting there. She's fumbling or doing something. We find out several minutes later that she had written a check. I'm not kidding. She hands it to the guy. And every step along the way takes about five minutes. He, he looks at it and it's like he's never seen something like this before. And I don't know what he called someone or something. She must have been the daughter of the owner of the bridge or something because it was Okay. And he 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 was going to take his sweet time because he did not like this, and he uh, slowly opens his little door, walks out, goes all the way around the car, to where she is on the driver's side, has her pull out ID and I don't know a major credit card or whatever. He slowly writes down all the information, goes all the way back around the car into his little door, disappears for about five minutes. Yeah, and. Um, I, I know this because I can hear the numbers. He counted out $200 in change, minus the $4. She had written a $200 check. Yeah, right? Yeah. And we're sitting in the car waiting, you know, waiting. It was good. It's good. It, this is always good. I'm not a good waiter. Okay, you can tell that. So and that's good for me to learn that lesson. We, you know, we live in the age now, of course, you can say this about every age, but uh, of instant gratification. You know, I want it when? Now. That's right. And I'll tell you, with the advent of electronics and the Internet and all these other things, by the way, whose fundamental operating speed is the speed of light. OK. Uh, it's incredible. There are things going on right now that I never dreamed of as a young man standing out in the field talking on a phone to someone who's out in the forest, you know, it, you want to call someone, you don't have to wait and go to that black thing sitting on the desk in your house anymore. You just take it out of your pocket and call. That's incredible. You know, you don't have to wait. Uh, of course we're all spoiled by microwaves now you know used to take uh, an hour to cook things that you can do in less than a minute now in a microwave i want it now movies on demand you know when i was a kid you'd wait for weeks for some great movie to come out and then you'd go to the theater either the drive-in or inside and you better enjoy it while you can because once it's gone that's it you don't see it again it's gone you know Now they're digging through those vaults with all those tin cans with the movies in them, cleaning them up. And you just go buy what's called a DVD. You watch it whenever you want. You can stop frame. You can fast forward. You can you can back up. That's incredible. Now, you don't have to wait. Online shopping. Wow. You don't have to get in your car and, you know, see if any store has what you want. You just Google it or eBay it. Right? And then you, you compare prices. And if you're not sure, you do, you check the reviews. You know? To see which is the best one. News, facts, history, encyclopedias, books, and newspapers are becoming passe. That's incredible. You, you know, you want the news? You don't have to wait until 6 or 11. You just turn it on CNN on your computer. Right now. As it happens. Google, when they first came out, you know, you can find out anything right now. But then they added the feature of, as you were typing, the phrase was filled out. And of course you all know, or i suppose everybody here is hip with the electronic age. Last week, they added the feature that it actually brings the matches up now. As you type, the page is filled out as you type. Instant gratification, you know, now, 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 now. It's in, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what this generation is going to be like when they start taking over the country. You know, if they have to wait more than five minutes, they'll go crazy. (laughs) Waiting, it's it's, waiting is a thing of the past. But when it comes to the Lord, waiting is still the right thing. Okay that's never going to get passe. And I don't know about you, but I need to learn to wait on him. Learning to wait on Jesus. Why do we have to wait? Well, I can think of at least seven things. First of all, it develops patience. I need patience. I don't know about you. And waiting is a great thing to help develop that. It strengthens our faith. You know, sometimes we're just not ready for whatever it is we think we need. Sometimes we don't need it now, even though we think we do. Uh, often he is has other plans he's going to provide something different and if that's the case it's always better sometimes um, he's going to do it in such a way that's going to bring him more glory if we let him finally probably this is the biggest one it reminds us that he is the Lord and not me so here we are with Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and uh, he comes up, and you can see the guy is just distraught and and we can understand that We learn from the other uh, gospel accounts this is his only daughter, twelve years old, and she 's dying. she really is uh, and and that 's why they couldn 't bring her you know she 's in such a state that he has to so he already he has to wait you know he can 't bring his daughter to the e r here he has to come talk to jesus and then bring jesus back you know he probably has been there all night waiting for jesus to come back across the sea of galilee so he's already probably waited certainly he was waiting in the morning interesting he's a ruler of the synagogue we don't know where he would stand religiously but certainly the religious leadership generally wasn't accepting of jesus they didn't approve of him but this guy it's interesting how all this stuff gets laid aside you know when you have something like this in your life his daughter is dying that's that's all he's worried about right now and so he falls at his feet and it says he begged him earnestly he's not interested in pride now he just wants his daughter this guy is fervent you know he his he's you you talk about a fervent request i wish we could have heard this guy and uh it reminds me of the passage you know the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and I ask myself, you know, how often is my prayer fervent? How often would my prayer sound like this guy's request? You know, God says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I wonder what um, a ho hum prayer does. It since he stresses fervent there. Jairus was sincere and fervent in this case he's fervent because there's nowhere else to go she's beyond the hope the the help of doctors and he knows that there's nowhere else to go and that's when we get fervent isn't it you know kind of like when god is our last resort which is a lesson to us and to me you know we should always be fervent in prayer no matter what it is we're praying about it should be as if it could be done no other way unless the Lord does it. If we had that attitude, I think all of our prayers would be like that. Because unfortunately, uh, we all know this, we can manage things ourselves. We can obtain things without the help of Jesus that uh it would be nice to have him intervene on. Jobs, possessions, husbands and wives. You know, it's amazing what you can come up with yourself. Well. Jesus uh, had to perform some triage here in this case for you non-medical people. That's when you have more than one injured person in a situation and you have to decide who gets treated first. We had an example of it in San Bruno just the other day when they arrived on the scene. Typically, in triage, there are four categories of people. There are those who are so injured that you need to get them right away to medical attention in order to save their lives. So they're number one. They're first. Like the daughter here. Second is people who have major injuries, but they can wait. Third category is those who have minor injuries, you know, abrasions, bruises, and that sort of thing. It's interesting. So, uh The scale kind of goes down as far as the level of injury goes until you get to number four. Which is very, you know, what number four is. No, not dead. Those for whom there is no hope. It's those who no matter what you do, they're gone. That, that's a tough decision to make. For a medical practitioner. But those are the kind of things they have to do when faced with a situation like that. So the Lord responds to Jairus and basically puts everybody else on hold. He, he does triage. Here's a little girl who's dying. And, he's, and he said, okay, I'll go with you. And so he goes uh with Jairus. Already we get the, the kind of warning note here that there may be trouble because in verse 24 it says that a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So we need to get the picture. I mean, th- this is really a big crowd and they are really uh pressing you know just clamoring to get jesus to to take care of their needs and jesus is having to press through this with jairus to head through his to his house well jairus is going to have to wait even longer because somebody's going to cut in line and and the dear woman she didn't mean to do it that way but that's the way it's going to happen She's going to, uh, halt her proceedings here. She had the flow of blood for 12 years. Um, and that tells us right away a couple of things. She would probably be fairly weak, right? You know, 12 years. Can you imagine? Very anemic. Is that, would that be the right word? Um, 12 years. But maybe something you don't know, she's also an outcast. Because when a woman had a flow of blood, she was unclean. She was separate. Listen to Leviticus. If a woman has a flow of blood, she shall be set apart seven days. That's in the case of just a a single incident. Or as long as the flow lasts. So in this case, she's been isolated for 12 years. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything she lies on shall be unclean. Everything she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. She She's almost like a leper. Not allowed to touch anybody. Nobody's supposed to touch her. And this has been going on for 12 years. So that might help you understand why, you know, she didn't just come right up. She just wanted to sneak in there and just touch his garment, you see, nobody will know, but she'll get healed. Which, by the way, shows the strength of her faith. You know, all I got to do is touch the hem of his garment and I'll be healed. So she was hoping that be, we, we can do this quietly, secret healing, you know. I'm, I'm cured, huh? And then just quietly leave. Well... That's not the way it works with the Lord. And so she does touch him. She's healed immediately, by the way. But uh, I can imagine how she must have felt when Jesus immediately said, who touched me? You know, and one person in the crowd knows who it is. And it's that dear lady. Uh, no matter what anybody else thought, as things develop here, just for a moment, let's think about Jairus. His daughter's dying. And for some reason now, Jesus is concerned about somebody touching him. And we've got to get to the bottom of this. How do you think Jairus felt about all of this? You know, is this trip really necessary? Even the disciples... Yeah, you know, they, they're, they're kind of mocking here. You know, you say, look, look at all these people. And you say, who touched me? Everybody's touching you, you know? Well, of course, the Lord is, uh, his, his ways are above our ways. He didn't just mean physically touch. She touched him in a way that he healed her through that touch. That's what he was talking about. She really touched him. And so in verse 32, when it says uh, he looked around, it doesn't mean he's trying to find information. He knew who it was. In fact, it says uh, he looked around to see her who had uh, done this thing. He knew who it was. But it's very important that he speak with her for several reasons. Um, first of all, it's very important that she understands it wasn't the clothing that healed her. It was Jesus. Okay? You say, well, what's the big deal there? Well, it's very important. Uh, imagine if she'd gone home and said, you know, man, I got healed, and all I did was have to touch his garment. His garment has magical powers. You understand? You, th- you don't think we're like that? Uh huh. Did you know that scattered all over Europe and parts of Asia, there are still to this day pieces of the cross? Now, they're not pieces of the cross. They tend to have started somewhere about a thousand years after Jesus, when somebody miraculously found uh, the cross or a piece of it. And they are venerated to this day. They're brought out like once a year and worshiped. And they're supposed to have healing powers. The garment. Exists at least in three different places right now. Um, Germany. There's one in France. There's one in Georgia. And that's not down south. That's the Georgia of the old Soviet Union. They bring it out once a year. And they worship it. And it's supposed to have healing powers. So it's very important that the Lord gets her to understand it was he was the one. That healed her, not not the not the robe, not the garment. Next, he wants to make a plain to her that it was her faith, not just touching. Okay, not just the physical touching, but she believed in Jesus. That's the important thing, and she needs to understand that. Also, it would be good for her to make a, a public declaration. Don't you think? You know, instead of sneaking away, come on, you know. Here's your first chance to witness to what the Lord has done. And finally, it gives him a chance to assure her and confirm to her that indeed uh, she's been healed by him. So he does all of those things and she went away assured and understanding as well. well what about Jairus all that time? I have a feeling he's getting antsy. You know, Uh He's probably, here we are standing, dealing with this woman. My daughter's dying, and every moment is precious. Why are we doing this? We shouldn't be waiting. Has Jesus forgotten? Does he even care? You know, it's remarkable to me that Jesus actually got asked that question twice. Probably more than that, but it's recorded twice in the Bible. You know, with Mary and Martha at the house of Lazarus, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and Martha addresses these words to Jesus. Do you not care? You know, that I'm doing all the work and so on. Imagine asking Jesus that question. Do you, don't you care? In fact, uh, look back, uh, you may not even have to turn the page. Mark 4 verse 38. This is when they were in the, uh, boat out at sea in the storm jesus of course is asleep on a pillow he's tired so he's asleep happens to be a storm at sea but you know he's in god's will so the storm doesn't matter and it says the disciples awoke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing Let me ask you does jesus care that we are perishing he's already proved it hasn't he he's demonstrated that he cares he's done something about it praise his name we don't have to perish he paid the price in full yes jesus cares people say these things because sometimes we get the wrong idea we don't know what he's doing and it's those times when faith has to kick in we just trust him We don't understand, but he does. You know, the issue haunting those who will spend eternity in hell will be actually two things, that they will realize that indeed, yes, Jesus cared, but the problem was they didn't. You know, people go to hell, not because Jesus doesn't care, but because they don't. It's really a sad thing. People really... Don't pay much attention to their own eternal souls; They just don't care. Indifference. Jesus cares. Well, uh, as he finished speaking, it says in verse 35, while he was still speaking to her. So you got to get they're both happening at the same time. As he's saying these consoling words to the woman and saying, go in peace and so on. Uh, you can just see Jairus because he's going to recognize who's making their way through the crowd. They're coming from his house. And he, he knows what they're coming for. There be, there could only be one reason. And sure enough, they utter those four dreaded words. Your daughter is dead. Oh, man. How that must have cut his heart like a knife, you know? And everything else is blocked out. Your daughter is dead. My daughter is gone. No hope. Past help. And so they say, look, there's no need to trouble the master anymore. That is Jesus. They gave up on Jesus. Do we ever do that? Do we ever give up on Jesus? You know? It's like okay, okay, I'm gonna give you this long, Lord, and uh look now here the timer is set. And if you don't perform, then I'm taking over. It's interesting the Lord's in complete control. By the way, okay, Jesus is complete control all this time. Let's be clear about that. There's nothing here that uh happened, that shouldn't have happened, okay? It's just that he's so good at multitasking, all right? He can handle more than one person at a time and everything's fine. By the way, if she dies, that's not a problem for Jesus, okay? So it's interesting that um, in verse 36, the, the Lord himself cuts in, he intervenes. I don't know what would happen. I think Jairus probably would have just gone home, you know, weeping. To mourn with the others over his daughter. So Jesus steps and he says, look, don't be afraid. Only believe. Isn't that good? Interesting, he doesn't tell him what to believe. You know? So I'm picturing myself as Jairus. Believe, okay, well, my daughter's dead. What am I supposed to believe? That must mean that she can still be helped okay now do i believe that that jesus can actually do something about her being dead and i have a feeling he uh he had a little thinking to do on on what remained of the walk to his house well they got there and the mourners are all there uh doing their thing it says in the other verses it's a very strong word they laughed him to scorn when he says she's She's asleep. By the way, let's be clear about this. The the girl was dead. Okay. Jesus said, she's asleep. What he means is I'm going to wake her up from death. He said the same thing about Lazarus. He said he's, he's sleeping. And the disciples said, oh, well, if he's sleeping, that's probably good. You know, when you're sick, it's good that you sleep. And they didn't get it. And so he explained to them, he said very plainly, no, Lazarus is dead. But he used that expression because he wasn't going to stay dead. And it's the same thing here. She's dead. So they're sarcastic. I mean, they, it's a strong word for laugh. It's literally literally laughing to scorn. So he puts them out and is just there with the, the two parents and uh, the three disciples. And uh, I love this. Um, Little girl, I say to you, arise. I, it would be so tender. you know. It's like time to get up, honey. You know, she's dead. Like it's like time to get up from your nap. You know, <clears throat> the tender touch of the Lord. He, he had said earlier to the woman daughter, he called her daughter. Beautiful. So uh, I'll tell you, if Jesus commands you to do something, even if you're dead, you can't help but obey. And so when he said, get up. Guess what? That's exactly what she did. And we talk about this like it's an ordinary thing. Let me tell you, it's not. If you've been around people that are are dead, you could yell at them and and command them all you want, and they're not moving. But when Jesus said those words, this dead girl came back to life and sat up. Wow. No wonder uh, they were filled with amazement. says they were overcome with great amazement no kidding the bottom line is here when we look back on the whole episode she was healed and the parents had their daughter healthy back in their arms again because of jesus it it went a little differently than they had planned she died in the process but really, if you think about it, um, she, she had been delivered by a greater deliverance. There was a greater miracle. And Jesus got greater glory through what had happened, you see. <clears throat> and we have to allow for that. Sometimes that's why the Lord allows suffering and trials to increase. So that he can receive greater glory. And that's what happened here. Yes, Jairus suffered some more. His mother did. But in the long run, the Lord received greater glory. And their faith was much more greatly strengthened as a result. Now, we have to be careful because sometimes when the trial gets stronger, he doesn't always get greater glory through a greater deliverance. Sometimes he gets greater glory from our greater faith. A good example of that is Job. First he lost everything he had, all of his family except for his wife. And he said, "Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." Man, has that ever glorified God or what? But then it got worse. And he and he had boils from head to foot. We cannot imagine how this guy was suffering now at that point. Can you imagine? You know what a boil is like? Can you imagine having it from head to foot? Oh, man. And his wife, as an outside observer, said, look, I don't know what's going on, but you need to just curse God and die. And Job takes that greater affliction and gives more glory to God in a tougher situation by saying, Shall we receive good from the Lord, but not evil? Isn't that good? In other words, whatever the Lord sends my way, if it's from him, then it's a good thing. That's great. The words, the second set of words are immortal, even more so because of Job's condition at the time. Well, Jesus was going to restore Jairus' daughter all along. Okay. Okay. And it was never out of his control. But not the way Jairus expected. And so along the way, Jairus and his wife probably learned patience. His faith was strengthened. He was actually provided something different and better in a way. Had his wife, his daughter delivered from the dead. It brought the Lord greater glory. And it reminded him that Jesus is Lord. It says in Psalm 84, um, No good thing will he withhold from us. That's a promise. Now think about that. It says he will withhold no good thing. Man, isn't that great? So, you know, I think sometimes we get concerned. "Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to miss out on something, you know. Well, if it turns out that you missed out on blah, well, then it couldn't have been a good thing. Because that verse says he doesn't withhold any good thing. You can go to the bank on that. He doesn't withhold any good thing. <clears throat> I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I like the way he says that. The Lord talks in, in marvelous ways. He says, I know the thoughts I think toward you. In other words, you don't. You know? I know my thoughts. And they're good. And they're going to come to a good end. Maybe not right away. You may not see it, but that's okay. You don't need to. That's my department. It's going to turn out great. Trust me. That's what he's saying there. I know. You're not in a position to advise or judge. I am. As as Paul put it, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? You ever counsel the Lord? Has ever asked advice from you? We picture life like the stock market. You know, you got to get in now or it's too late. Right now. We use that as a disguise, really, to hide the two year old in us. I want it now. That's all it is. you ever uh, see or, or been to a, a rally, you know, where you always have the, the main, uh, um, the, the chant leader with a bullhorn or a mic. And he says, what do we want? And people say, blah, whatever it is, They you know, they're rallying about. And then he says, when do we want it? And what do they say? Yeah. yeah. And then repeat that over and over again. What do we want? Blah. When do we want it? Now. You know, Jairus would have preferred Jesus to explain first. You know, when he first met him, he would have loved Jesus to say, okay, now listen, Jairus, um, first there's going to be a delay here. There's a woman that's going to be healed and I'm going to have to deal with her, but don't worry about it. Your daughter's going to die, but don't worry about it. That's okay. I'll bring her back from the dead. He would have liked that, don't you think? You know? We don't like waiting and we don't like not knowing. We would like the Lord to say, "Okay, fill in your name here. Blah. Now, here's the plan. This is the way it's going to happen. And it's going to happen at this time. Right? Yeah. First of all, I don't know if Jairus would have accepted that, by the way that solution of jesus if he'd been told in advance his daughter was going to die it's not clear to me he would have gone along with that it's not clear to me if we knew in advance how things are going to work out we would cooperate you know we already tend to say i got a better idea right you know and we start managing things our way you know listen it we can do that We can start managing things and we can make things happen. We can verbally say, look what the Lord did. But it wasn't the Lord. You know that we can do that as Christians. We'll find out when we get to heaven, how many things we manipulated. But if we'd only waited and found out what the Lord had in mind. But the worst thing about if it were really like that, that the Lord uh, had to come to us, you know, if any of you have anything to do with companies, you know who, who the big uh noise is in the company. He's the guy that signs off last, the one who has the final say on everything. If the Lord had to clear things with us. Who's the master now? Ah, yeah, that's right. I'm the boss. You know, I'm the guy with the final stamp of approval. And if I don't like it, forget it. Something's wrong with that picture. Jesus is Lord, not me. We need to learn to trust. And the better part of trusting is waiting, waiting. David had some very wise words. And by the way, David was a man who had to wait a long time, wasn't he? You know, he got promised to be king. It took a while, didn't it? And it sure looked bleak. Like, has the Lord made a mistake here? Does the Lord care? He never did that. He was a man after God's own heart. He trusted the Lord, no matter how bleak it looked. He waited and waited and waited. And in one of the Psalms, he says, wait on the Lord. He's speaking from experience. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we confess, or at least I confess, we're not often good at waiting. And yet, if there's anybody who should be waited on at you, how wrong it is when you have to wait on us. And so, Lord, we just have a real simple request this morning. Lord, teach us to wait. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.